Hello and welcome to 91.8 Hayes FM with myself, Nicola Fustel. You are listening to the Fustel Fit Health and Fitness Show. So we're here every week between the hours of one and three talking about health and fitness as always. And did you know that it is actually the Mental Health Awareness Week right now? So if you've been watching my Facebook page, you would have seen a few posts that I've put up. There is a massive campaign at the moment called Hashtag Time to Change. And it's about changing the stigmas surrounding mental health. So there's some amazing videos if you go on YouTube and search Time to Change, you'll see. And hopefully you'll start to think about mental health in a different way. And if there is somebody around you who's acting slightly differently, hopefully you can also help them. And if you are suffering with something yourself, maybe you can start to speak out about it. And there is no shame in speaking about mental health. This is what Time to Change is about. We need to start talking about it. And so therefore we can help each other. But we're not just talking about mental health today, we're talking about all things health and fitness and I have a special guest with me, Christian Thompson, who is going to share with us his story and share with us some of his experiences. So welcome Christian to the show. Thank you, thank you Nicola. Uh, thank you for having me on. I'm looking forward to talking about uh, the large list of questions that I've already seen that we've got uh, to answer today. And, um, do have a very large list so we're going to have to try to get through as many as possible but if you do have any questions yourselves please get in touch via our facebook live we're doing a facebook live on christian thompson's facebook page um i'm going to share it in a moment on my facebook page nicola fustel but you can also tweet us at hazefm official and we'll be answering those as well yeah, so sure. christian i'm going to ask you to take it away and just share with us who are you and what's your story that led you to get here today uh, right, so, well, my name is Christian Thompson, and uh, my background, something that I'm more, more well-known for was I was an ex-world champion kickboxer. Um, but more importantly, I made a decision to start changing the way I was doing uh, or approaching my, my health personally and also the way I help others achieve their goals in health and the fitness industry um, because I was a world champion kickboxer, eating all the right food, training all the time, living the sort of ideal perfect healthy life that you would think you would need to to have optimum health and yet my health was still falling apart and this was a, a huge huge um, uh, thing for me I, I, if I sat down for longer than five minutes I feel like I'd want to fall asleep and no one can give me any good reasons why this is happening uh, so I started to uh, look elsewhere to find some key answers to why this was happening. I looked into psychology, I looked into nutrition, I looked into all different thing, forms of physiology and uh, physiotherapy and different ways of improving physical health as I had pains in hips, joints and knees and all the rest of it um, through, through wear and tear of my career. Uh, and also looked into neurology, uh, particularly functional and applied neurology, which was where I found a lot of my answers. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's not a simple subject in any way, shape or form. Uh, there's lots, of, lots and lots of things to, to consider. But basically, the most important thing we've got to start with is the brain. The brain is where everything's at. And once we understand how that works in more detail and how that can have a very large cascading effect on the rest of the body, we can start to understand a little bit more about what's actually happening, why it's happening and how to actually create a change in any way, shape or form. So talk us through your own health. So you were saying, obviously, you were, you were fit, you were a kickboxing champion. 
um, doing all of this exercise and then your health started failing you feeling a lot you know very fatigued mm. what sort of things were happening and how did you realize then that it was to do with your brain uh, right well so like I said I was having various uh, soft tissue injuries that realistically no one could explain why they're happening I had MRI scans that x-rays and no one could say the reason why my hip my particularly my right hip was uh, failing me uh, in this way I also had massive energy level problems um, I had uh, my own forms of mental health issues so uh, various uh, levels of depression and uh, even uh, even I struggled to keep certain weights at certain times as well. Uh, so there was a, there was a number of things, um, and it wasn't really until I got towards the end of my research, oh uh, well, uh, if I'm at the ever ever at the end of my research, um, that I started to realise what was actually going on. The first time we actually got anywhere any any really good results was when we realised that I actually had mercury poisoning from my teeth from the mercury amalgams in my teeth. Uh, I had um, a bad experience with a dentist when I was probably about 12. And this left me with uh, uh, one of my fillings actually falling out of my mouth. Uh, and apparently this is what would have caused the most likely or the most likely cause for my mercury poisoning. Now, other people can also have mercury poisoning without having uh, have had a problem with mercury amalgam fillings. There are other ways of gaining mercury poisoning, but this is a very common way. If you if you had fillings with mercury amalgams in, there's a likelihood that when they put them in, that you you got some absorption or some higher level of absorption with of, of the mercury itself. And depending on your body's current state, it's depending on whether your body's able to actually uh, filter it out and remove it from your body rather than just storing it in tissues such as fat and 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 or, or more importantly in brain and nervous tissue which is also predominantly made up of fat so once we stopped once we realized i had mercury poisoning going through forms of chelation therapy to remove that actually improved my health no end and what that mercury poisoning was doing was in inhibiting my brain's ability to communicate efficiently through something called the hpa access which was causing chronic fatigue syndrome and that was the biggest problem I was having. So basically, chronic fatigue syndrome was being caused by an inability for my brain to communicate an efficient signal down this access all the way down into my adrenal glands and therefore was constantly in a stressed response. Would you say a lot of people are misdiagnosed then with like chronic fatigue and ME even? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, there's, there's so much that we don't really understand about these uh, uh, these these sort of conditions and when we when we go to doctors or or, or our GPs or you've got to remember our GPs are general practitioners they don't always have the best skills to deal with that exact thing especially at the at this current point in time a lot of them are, are complaining about being overstressed, overworked, there, there's too many people to see, there's not enough doctors to go around, we've got all these, all these problems that are in, in the environment as well, but often it, we, the, the people that we're put in front of first just don't have the knowledge in front of, uh, in, to, their, to, the, to, the, to their disposal to actually deal with some of, the, some of the conditions that come in, and you've also got to take into account some people 
do overplay their hands to maybe get out of work or do something else. So there's a lot of things we've got to take into account when we when we think about that as well. But misdiagnosis is definitely rife, yes. So when did you realise that your doctor had told you something different and that you wanted to dig deeper and then you eventually found out that it was mercury poisoning? Well, basically, if you ever told that's just life and you have to live with it, there's, that's something wrong. Just because the person in front of you can't tell you what the answer is doesn't mean that, that there is no answer. And that's the main key to this. So I was told, you're tired all the time, we don't know what's wrong, that's just your life. Your hip hurts, we don't know why, that's just your life. And I wasn't ever going to be happy with those answers. So it was up to me to go out and find other answers find other people willing to actually look into it a bit deeper and I had this motivation to go and do this and the other people in the world have also had the motivation to go and do this and very often you see in the health and fitness industry some of the greatest people out there and giving the greatest information all started in that same position I'm not happy with the answer that you're giving me so I'm going to go and find better answers that's realistically the key to this everyone needs to really take responsibility for themselves a little bit and say well I'm not happy with the answer you just gave me and I don't believe that's the only answer out there for me I'm going to go and get a third second fourth recommendation I'm not even just going to go and get those recommendations I'm going to go find out a bit more about it myself so I can understand those recommendations this is a very important thing too if people always walk in blind then they have no idea whether they're being given good or bad information Exactly. And where do we start? Where did your journey start into finding the right people and getting the right information? I was already uh, fair, you know, fairly well versed in, um, in health and fitness when I started this journey. So I already had a good understanding of uh, basic nutrition, uh, the basic physiology of the body, some very, very basic neuro, uh, nervous system anatomy and neuroanatomy. But... It was just a constant, uh, a constant progression of learning one thing, learning one course. So whether it be something on psychology, whether it be something on nutrition, whether it be something on anatomy, whether it be something on neuroanatomy, be learning one thing after another and then chasing down another lead, chasing down another symptom, chasing down another reason, chasing down another cause until we got to a much bigger picture of understanding uh, everything as it were as, as, a, as a whole holistic system how they all integrate because what we've got to remember is there is no just one system we're not working with just the nervous system we're not working with just the endocrine system we're not just working with just the digestive system or just the fascial system if we're talking about the, the muscle or the muscular system separately again we're working with a, a, a mesh of systems all constantly laying over each other all constantly interpreting signals from the outside world, our, our environment, and also themselves. Their, their own system itself and the other systems on top of them. So there's so much information constantly um, uh, moving and uh, mishmashing in between each other that's going to make every single person unique. And that's the funny thing. We're all pretty much made of the same stuff, but yet we're all 100% we're all unique and different. And that's not because... Uh, we that we each have something the other person doesn't have. It's just we put we're put together in a unique way. It's almost like having um, an uh, an infinite number of Lego bricks and putting to you, you everyone will put together something different. 
everything will be put together in a different way, but every single person has the same pool of material to be made from, as it were. And this is what we find a lot of the time when we look into personality traits, just for a psychological basis. Most people uh, will all have the same traits, it's just how much of those traits will actually be uh, presented in that person's personality, and also DNA. A lot of our DNA, a lot of us, our DNA is almost identical. We're not actually that different genetically in a DNA perspective from from our sort of cousins, the great apes. But how we're put together makes us unique. What parts of our DNA are upregulated and are expressed is what makes us unique. So tell us about the work that you're doing now. So you've gone on this journey and now you've developed this system that you called the superhuman or the superhuman experiment. Can you tell us how you got into doing that? So as I started to talk a little bit more about um, some of the more abstract things I do, for instance, like swimming in uh, ice cold lakes uh, or sitting under infrared lamps or or, or eat, eating or training in the specific ways that seem counterintuitive. Um, people kept asking more and more questions and I just started to end up talking about it in a more, more of a public way, which then I found I needed to put something together to uh, actually formulate a coherent strategy of communication of this because otherwise, you know, it wouldn't be taken very seriously. So. Realistically, that's how I got into creating the superhuman experiment, and it also gave me an opportunity to create a community of like-minded individuals, because I've been through my life and I've done plenty of things by myself. I mean, people, uh, being a professional fighter can be quite a lonely career by, uh, in, in itself, but even past that point where I've opened businesses by myself and trained by myself or gone out on my own to do this sort of research, I, I understand the value of having people around you that are also like-minded, doing the same thing. And I found that that was the one thing that I was missing. That was one thing that could have made me get to certain places faster. So I wanted to create that for other people as well. So in what way do you mean like your Facebook support groups? Um, yeah, so, so the Superhuman System and the Superhuman Experiment is about bringing more people together. Uh, they're all looking to improve their health, learn learn about this sort of material, educate themselves, and rather than just be relying on being told what is best for them. Understanding why something works for one person, but that won't work for them, even though they seem like they're in the same space. It's very easy to get downhearted by uh, the fact that the diet that worked for your friend that seems to have the exact same problems as you isn't working for you or the exercise program or whatever it is and being able to educate yourself the reason why that thing worked for them and it didn't work and it's not going to work for you and what will work for you I think is a very important very important subject uh, and something that we're missing in the in the current community everyone seems to be trying to sell you a singular product it's like this thing will do everything it will slice your bread it will take your kids to school it, you know but it's just not, it's not true so what I always talk about is how everything is uniquely positioned to be fantastic at this one job and it can do these other things as well but you've got to understand what job you want it to do and why you want it to do that job and what else you can bring in to fill the gaps in those areas and where, where the gaps in your life are 
as it were. So this community is helping build that educational process for general public and uh, and other coaches as well who are on on this program. Yeah, yeah. So other uh, well, other coaches of many different disciplines as well, and it, it's everyone coming together and sharing information and helping bring up the general level of education in that community and therefore help not even just the people in that community but the hundreds of thousands of people that those people have contact with and affect in a sort of ripple effect. Some of the things you talk about are very scientific yes. and um, how do you kind of bring them down to layman's terms for all the people in your group or do you have to have a certain level of knowledge? Um, a bit of both. Uh, so there is an element of you have to be willing to do a bit of work. You have to be willing to read a little bit. You have to be willing to put some effort into understand. But everything is brought down to a, a layman's terms. Um, I mean, we'll we'll go over this in a minute uh, soon enough, and we'll 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 do my we'll do my best to make sure that things are as easily digestible as possible. But if we if we look even to uh, a basic fact I know you want to talk about later it's like food and seasonality of importance to put it in layman's terms of why it's important is you just got to think well you know does your body expect that food to be in the environment if you say no then do you think your body has uh, a way of, do you think your body has a way of telling what, what time of year it is what season it is and do you think your body has a way of matching what season it is to what food should be in the environment so when you're talking about seasons are you in the best health living in the country that you were born in? Uh, it's not the fact that we're in the best health of living in the country you're born in, because when we go into this, we've got to look into something called epigenetics. And due to our rapid evolution, we have this really great ability to adapt to our current environment, which doesn't mean that we have to live in the place we are born. It means we can live the other side of the planet from where we're born and be extremely healthy. But the problem is, if you went and picked an Eskimo up and dropped him in Africa or vice versa overnight they're going to die very very quickly or they're not going to be in a very very good shape because they haven't had the ability to gradually adapt uh, if you're looking at just moving from the UK to Spain for instance it's not so much of a big jump so it's not so much living where you're born but it's actually living in the way that uh, the current environment dictates so if you're eating an English diet in England and by English diet I don't mean fish and chips of course but I mean the local foods, the seasonal foods the foods that grow in those type of light levels then you're going to be much healthier than if you're eating uh, the typical Spanish diet because that's the diet that's for them so if you eat it, so they will, they will have a lot more fruit in their environment than we will in the UK so basically, the higher level of fruit for, for them would be actually better than the higher level of fruit for us. Mm -hmm. uh, well, yes. We're going to cover a lot more of that um, as we go through the interview. Yes. Um, but for those of you that are listening, we now have time. We have to go to um, a break, I'm afraid. So mm -hmm. there are some people on Facebook if you want to get your questions in now, and then hopefully we can answer some after the break. But when we come back, we will be diving into some of my questions as well and going into injuries firstly. So if you've got any injuries, then listen up. We are talking about health and fitness and Christian is about to talk to us about injuries. And the reason I wanted to talk about injuries first is many people have injuries, mm -hmm. obviously, and 
generally people don't go to someone for help if they're in good health to be healthier do they it's normally when something goes wrong yes so let's talk about when things go wrong and people are suffering from pain and injuries okay so uh first off one of the most important things we've got to understand about health is it should be preventative rather than uh looking to solve a problem that's already gone wrong uh, it, it makes makes your life a lot more effective when we when we look at, look at health through preventive measures but if you are coming in through with an injury there are a lot of misconceptions i find about what pain is and how injuries are caused and well, what what even they are in, in a, lot of, a lot of cases um like for me looking at things from a neurological standpoint pain is just an electrical signal that's interpreted by the brain in a set of neurons called the amygdala and insula uh, the amygdala is something we use to uh, so understand emotional pain so when someone says you know when someone says they, you know, they can feel something with like emotionally and it hurts emotionally this this is there is an actual pain for that and in fact the memory of suffering, the memory of pain, what we think is, what most people think is muscle memory, uh, but you can actually have a, a memory of pain that's causing, let's say, pain in the elbow, pain in the knee, pain in the ankle. That's you mean coming. a memory of an emotional pain yeah. can cause a pain in the yeah. body? Physically, a pain in the body from an that's emotional trauma. So you could, um, you could have fallen over when you were a kid and remember the physical suffering of that falling over, and that could be causing a pain in that area. Or it could be you, rem you remember being uh, called names in the playground once and that left an emotional trauma in your in, in, in your in your memory or access process of that memory and that can physically cause a pain I've I've seen people who had massive lower back pain that was caused from um, a huge problem they had at work in their history and in the past and that, that every time that they thought or they, they got into a similar situation at work where they thought that might happen again they suddenly would come down with this massive debilitating back pain just from a memory and it's possible whereas so that's how they can get a day off work <laughs> <laughs> well yeah you, you you might you might think so and it's, it's something that's so hard to judge you know what uh, you know is it someone just playing playing sick or you know, or is it something that's actually happening um there are ways of testing that, but again, it's it's a very specific skill set to be able to do that. So you must have to go through such a big history with people, like psychologically and physically. Oh yes, yes, completely. Uh, when I when people come to see me, I normally spend uh, the first half hour to uh, if they're coming to see me specifically for pain treatment uh, type of things. So like uh, pain, uh, pain pain and movement special specialist type stuff. Um, I'll spend probably the first half an hour plus just chatting to them, just just understanding what their history is. And before that, they would have filled out a quite an extensive uh, intake form, which will have all their injury history from everything from um, how were they born? You know, were they cesarean? Were they uh, were they born naturally? Uh, how many brothers and sisters they have? Because that can affect uh, various emotional standings and psychological standings in, in themselves. People don't understand often how how pain is just that signal it's an electrical signal and everything that happens in your body will create an electrical signal even light for instance light hits our eye and therefore reacts with a special cell in the back of our eye which will then send an electrical signal to our brain to allow us to ah now i see 
everything is just a form of electrical signals. Once we understand that, we can actually start understanding how certain stimuluses from our environment or in, in our internal environment as well can actually uh, create a feeling. So pain really is a warning that something deeper is going on? Um, kind of. Uh, so, you know, when there's a, there's a story about uh, a guy walking through a forest and he's and this is a this is a this is a true story i can't remember who it was but um he was walking through a forest and he felt he felt like a little sharp sort of nick on his heel he was walking through bare feet and um didn't think anything thought he just stepped on his twig carried on walking and then suddenly collapsed about five minutes later realizing he'd been bitten by a snake and his ankle swelled up fortunately he was lucky enough to survive this and he was walking through the forest again five ten years later whatever it was and then he actually barefoot again and he actually stepped on a twig but this time the pain felt like an immense like 10 out of 10 he jumped off as ah, i thought he'd been bit by a snake again looked down he just snapped the twig basically the sensitivity of that part of his foot had completely changed because his memory of being bitten by a snake and nearly dying had completely changed his perception of what that feeling would be like so before he thought it was a twig and it was a snake and he reacted as if it was a twig after he steps on a twig and reacted as if it was a snake again so perception is a huge has a huge part to play in pain as well as uh, your body's sensitivity to a signal. So pain is only when a signal gets to a certain level or a certain amount of signal comes from a certain area that the insula will, or the amygdala, mainly the insula for physical pain, will decide that that is something we need to move away from. Remember, our brain only really has one job, and that's to keep you alive. So it, remo it moves away from danger and towards safety away from the problem and towards compensation. So if it thinks a problem is on my left, I'm going to move towards my right. I'm going to, wait, I'm going to move away from that. It's going to try to do everything it can to keep me alive. Everything your body does, even hunger stimuluses or even, uh, even addictive tendencies, they're technically your body's way of trying to do something it thinks is going to make, make, make you better make your life so better. So you, for an example, are the opposite of the guy walking in the woods because obviously you've taken yourself into fighting situations where you've putting yourself in that painful process, you're going to be hit and you're going to be hitting somebody else. So did you manage to change the way that you felt like emotionally and um, with your memories of pain and being hit to be able to go into that situation? Again, it comes down to perception. So no one likes being hit. So you don't go into fighting to get hit. Yeah, everyone has their own reasons. Mine was personally to prove something to myself. Once I'd done that, I kind of didn't feel the need to fight anymore. And never know, I might get back in the ring at some You've point. fighting now. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm fully retired from fighting and been, been so for a Unless while. Unless you need to on yeah, the streets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no one ever needs to fight. It's only if they want to fight. But um, the perception of being hit in the face like for me towards the end of my career I, I could be hit in the face it didn't it didn't cause me pain pain you know being punched with a big with a big pillow in your hand basically wasn't wasn't problematic for me and it wasn't problematic for any of the experienced fighters but it used to be problematic when you got punched in the face and it was a big shock but it's perception because you weren't expecting it when you become experienced at that at doing something like that you start to 
expect it. You realize it. It's part of it's part of the process. And when it's part of the process and it's not shocking anymore, suddenly it's not so painful anymore. I mean, you can get a really big shot and your eye can swell up and, you're, and then you get inflammation. And then now every time you even get a small touch, that becomes painful. But that's because there's enough of a signal there. If you think swelling is a signal, you know, that's creating that. pressure. Hello and welcome back to the Fuse to Fit Health and Fitness Show on 91.8 Haze FM. So if you were just listening there before the break, we were talking about pain, we were talking about injuries, and Christian was telling us a little bit about when he was fighting and getting hit. Um, but we're going to move on a little bit unless anyone has any questions on that. So if you do have questions, tweet me at Haze FM Official, jump on the Facebook page Christian Thompson or Nicola Fustel, and you can find our Facebook Live, ask us any live questions. Now, other than that, we're going to move on to talk about rest, recovery and repair. Because obviously, once you've got the injury, what are we going to do then? And also to prevent us from getting injured in the first place. Yes. What can you tell us, Christian? Well, um, let's start with a very... Uh, I'm going to start with um, cold therapy because it's, it's, a, it's a big subject. And also it has some contradictory, uh, contradictory uh, points to it as well. So first off, let's say you get a swollen wrist. And the first thing we generally like to do is we like to put ice on that to decrease the swelling. You take the ice off and the swelling's decreased a little bit, but then 20, 15, 15 20, an hour later, the swelling re reoccurs. The body hasn't forgotten it needs to swell. And the thing is, ice is useless in this context. I, I always say the whole outdated form of rice, rest, elevate ice, all this stuff is, is, is useless. The problem is not the information the problem is removing the information afterwards in fact icing an injury within the first 72 hours you know, or, or 24 hours for sure can actually decrease the body's ability to heal and increase the damage done to that area because why are we swelling in the first place exactly well the thing is we got to think is after how many millions of years of evolution you think that you're smarter than the body's developed inflammatory response now, yes, there is such thing as chronic inflammation, but that's a very different thing, and it's normally to do with um, deeper cellular information or, or information of an organ or uh, a system not working correctly. Inflammation is a synonym for chaos. It's basically when we uh, have mistiming of cell uh, of, of cells sort of intake and, and delivery so if a cell cannot communicate properly with its surroundings and export products and import products in the correct timing then we're realistically going to have a huge amount of information and sort of too much stuff going on in the cell at once and which causes a decrease in the cell's ability to work that's more chronic information information on a point of an injury from a swelling from a trauma realistically is a good thing it's a protective mechanism and we shouldn't be trying to decrease it but saying that cold therapy in itself uh, which means getting into say a cold bath or having a cold shower or even getting into a bath of ice is actually extremely beneficial for health now the reason for this is is the type of cellular pathway signals it changes so one of the most important things to understand about health uh, and about uh, energy, energy levels, health, fertility is leptin is our master hormone and leptin will become, extre you become extremely more leptin sensitive by activating certain, certain pathways by using cold therapy. 
Now, this is a huge amount of information to go through, but if you just understand that leptin is a fat hormone, and by increase, decreasing the temperature of your environment, you actually increase your body's ability to turn uh, different types of fat cells, so white fat cells into beige or brown fat cells, which then are used to burn fat as free heat in, to keep yourself warm in your environment. And that makes that proliferates leptin at a high level, which means your, le your body becomes extremely much more leptin sensitive. When leptin enters the brain at night, what it should do, it actually signals the body to tell you how much energy you've got in your, in your system. So it's like your body's fuel gauge. And uh, when, we, when we take away the body's fuel gauge and make us leptin resistant, we actually take away our body's ability to ascertain how much energy we have in our body, which means if you imagine driving a car with no fuel gauge and you're driving through the Sahara Desert, every time you get a chance to stop and fuel up, you're going to. And you're also going to decrease any, anything that's going to take energy away from you. So often people who become leptin resistant are those people that are becoming obese, or having extreme inflammation problems because their body has no way of actually signaling cellular energy capacity. I just want to say I hope I'm not putting you off with my Snapchats <laughs> because I've been showing people on Snapchat me doing cold baths, obviously uh, not showing yes. them in the bath. <laughs> and people are going, why are you doing the cold baths? Because like, I met this guy, Christian Thompson. <laughs> and I was inspired to do these cold baths. So I really want to just show people um, you explaining yes. why the benefits of cold baths because there is like two and against isn't there with things like this yeah yeah I mean there's there's, there's people who think it's hormoretic which means um, it's a stress stress response so if you stress the body in a very small uh, very small way they'll actually have a beneficial effect you're talking about hormesis yeah it's hormoretic and hormesis same same thing it's just two different tenses of the same word um, so we, we've got you know, we've got things that will cause a stress response that our body will react to in a positive manner. But this isn't that. This actually changes the cellular signaling pathways of the body. Now, again, if we, if we start going down that road, we're going to probably a bit too much depth for uh, this type of uh, talk. But realistically, there's lots of information on how you can look this up. If you just look anything to do with uh, white fat, beige fat, brown fat, cold thermogenesis... Uh, leptin signaling pathways you can get into a bit more of the science on on how this all works but can we come back to that yes we're gonna have to pause there for a moment and take another break i'm afraid please do come back there's uh, lots more yeah so uh, most people can get a benefit alone from just having a cold shower but uh, what i explain to people is intensity uh, and regularity is Im are important for these things so if you're doing something like having cold showers it's obviously the intensity is a lot lower so you're going to have to do it more regularly. If you're doing something like, say, a cold bath, so you just run the cold tap water, get in the bath, uh, especially in the UK, normally most people's water is cold enough to do, to do this. But if you're going to hotter countries, maybe this isn't going to be enough. So uh, if you're doing the cold baths, two, if you're doing five, ten minutes at a time, two or three times a week, it's normally enough to get a, a, good, uh, a good level so of cold adaption. So you don't have to do it every day? No. No, not at all. Um, you can also do longer ones. So, so you can go, say you got into, say you did cold showers a couple of times a week and then you did one long 45-minute cold bath on a weekend or something. There's lots of different options of ways you can put it together. Obviously, if you're not sure about what you're doing, <coughs> go and find someone that is, you know, go and look, seek out the, the correct counsel to make sure you're doing things correctly. You know, cold is something that needs to be respected. You know, you can... 
put yourself too far. If you haven't uh, prepared your body correctly, you can cause damage as well. You know, just like anything. Which is why, really, when you <coughs> do these um, like endurance events and you're jumping into ice baths mm. during the event and in the lakes, you need to prepare by doing a few cold baths. Uh, well, realistically, if you're doing an endurance event in open water and the, that water's going to be cold open water, you need to do much more than getting a cold bath to prepare. In fact, most of the deaths that come in those sort of triathlon events are in the water or directly out of the water. So the change between the water and the, normally the cycling yeah, or something. I think we had Tough Mudder recently at the mm. weekend and somebody died, had a heart attack after jumping in the ice. Mm. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's not surprising because if you... The, the co being cold adapted is a whole new set of cellular signaling pathways. And the, the idea is seasonality. So if we look at the way our body tells time, it tells time through light, temperature, and magnetic flux. Nutrition has an element to play, and diet has an element to play, but it's not as greatly as those three elements. <coughs> now, magnetic flux is what we call the Schumann resonance of the Earth, so it's the Earth's magnetic potential that it's shown. Light is the main thing that we're entrained to, to tell the time. That's how we have light, light and dark cycles. We have day and night. We have a, what we call a circadian rhythm, which is our 24-hour body clock, as it were. Do you also believe in, like, the rhythm of the moon? I know some people talk about things like that and female cycles and everything being in a cycle. It will have an effect. The moon will physically affect the tides and it will physically affect the magnetic flux of the of the earth so will solar storms so will anything that happens in our universe technically yes there is a, an effect on the magnetic field of the earth when these things happen and our body is it very in tune to sensing these things but we have so many other signals in our environment competing for though that um or sort of o or overshadowing that sense that it can be quite difficult for us to actually show how the body is connected in that way so i wouldn't put so much stock in going uh oh this solar storm happened or or it was this moon today and that's why your health is like this it's this there's something that we may be able to see in the future on some really minute level of change but the main things we need to understand is light and dark cycles and connection to the earth's magnetic flux temperature is the way we start to override light and dark cycles when it gets to uh, environments with less sun. So if we have very steady 12-hour light and dark cycles like we do in some of the hotter, more equatorial countries, <coughs> light is always the way we entrain ourselves. But if we, it, let's say the UK for instance, where we have this very big season change of seasonality with light and dark cycles and temperature, temperature actually starts to generate more of a change in us. In fact, temperature will override our light and dark cycle. <coughs> That's why temperature for me is a really important way of improving someone's circadian biology because it actually overrides that system. So we, we have no longer have a proper light and dark cycle due to the amount of artificial light we have in our environment. What's your circadian biology? <coughs> so, so circadian biology is basically the way our body tells what time of day it is and also what season it is. So our, the way we release hormones, the cascade of hormone release, the cascade of neurotransmitter release, will all be controlled by our light and dark cycle or, our temperature, or, or the temperature of our environment. 
we constantly now walk around with uh, huge bright artificial lights that deliver four times the color temperature of blue than the sun does itself so we have different color spectrums of light that do different jobs or send different signals sorry can we come back to the light and your yes. health and everything and um, obviously we're talking <coughs> there about the cold baths can you tell us about saunas and are saunas effective um, saunas can be very effective and in fact there's uh, <coughs> some particular ways I use saunas to improve people's health by using cold and hot together so for instance you use something called the Fournier effect where if you make an area of the body cold and you make the rest of the body hot or the area uh, sort of that's leading on to that part of the body you've made cold hot you can actually increase the flow of blood and energy to the area you're cooling down and so I liken this to being in the hot hot uh, hot springs in in a very cold environment so if you're sitting in one of those hot springs and those like hot pools and it's minus or minus, minus one minus two minus three degrees outside <coughs> then you will actually find you don't feel the cold in your face and on your shoulders and your arms because you're actually getting the heat from below the same thing will happen here uh, you won't feel the cold so much on the area that you're cooling. You'll feel more of the heat coming down from there. And this is actually because a really great, blood. really great way of allowing that area to heal and allowing the area to actually have more, more energy, more blood flow flowing through it. And by energy, I mean electrons. So that's another big subject. But basically, if we just understand for a second that we don't actually use protein, carbohydrates, or fat as energy, that they're just macro molecules they're, they're big uh, source materials that we break down <coughs> to use for smaller more intricate parts in our cells we have something called the mitochondria which is what produces cellular energy and how the, how the mitochondria do that is they, what, they tunnel electrons across a membrane so the faster they tunnel electrons across the membrane the more energy they create so realistically the electron chain transport is our, our form of cellular energy so when we're looking when we talk about energy or when i talk about energy i talk about electrons and that's exactly how we create electrical flow in our all the electronics that are creating this uh, radio station po possible <coughs> and all the screens on our phones and everything else as well so I'm, I'm listening to every word you say and i'm like wow but i need to come back to mm -hmm. sauna because i feel like yeah. i'm lost now yeah. so <laughs> Uh, so the, sa the sauna can be very effective, but you've got to understand what you're using it for. <clears throat> so uh, the best type of sauna is a full-spectrum infrared sauna, which is very hard to find. You can normally find some form of infrared sauna, which will still be beneficial, but the infrared saunas are the ones that are really beneficial for your health. Everything else is nice, but it often will just, just will cause dehydration. So it depends, is the answer, which is really bad, I know, but it all depends on basically what you need and where you are. Is it good for um, <coughs> maintaining your muscles? So if you were injured and you couldn't really train? All right, welcome back to the Fuse Fit Health and Fitness Show. Sorry about that. Christian was just clearing his throat there, had a little bit of a coughing fit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we were. I want to talk to you actually, Christine, about massage. Yes. Because when we were looking at injuries as well and injury prevention, is it good to be having regular massage and what is the benefits of it? Well, I, I find actually massage is quite useless for injuries. 
themselves. Uh, Massage is a great tool for improving localized superficial blood flow and increasing lymphatic drainage and stress relief, making you feel a bit nicer and a bit more relaxed. But realistically, in terms of actually removing a muscular problem, it's not, not that great. Now, we can use things like myofascial release techniques <coughs> and other forms of more, more complex soft tissue work. And they can create change over short periods of time to allow you to do something with more, uh, with more force or do something with uh, better technique. And then they can actually improve range of motions in the muscle or strengthen the muscle. But if you need to prepare your body every time before you do something, for me, <clears throat> that means your body is not in the correct space to actually be doing it. So I would rather be looking at what is causing the problem in the first place and removing that cause rather than actually trying to treat the area the afflicted area every time before we have to go and do the work so for me injuries again like we come they come to before were a neurological stimulus if you're there's no nothing you can do to out train a, a a weak muscle if that muscle is weak from a neurological stimulus that muscle is always going to be weak or it's going to, always going to revert back to being weak Massage will only cover it up temporarily, as it were. So we need to change the, make the pathway strong from the brain to the muscle. Well, there's various ways to do that. Again, it's a very specific skill set to be able to affect uh, the body through, through neurology. There's, there's uh, a few different systems out there that, that work on this level. But I find that it's, if we're looking at the more generic way of doing it, doing corrective exercises, uh, a good way but stretching and mobilizing are often actually very inefficient ways of doing it they, they're very good short-term mediators but not very good long-term solutions but they are good for long-term like improving your stretch level aren't they like if you uh, look at yoga. again the thing is yoga is not stretching yoga is nothing to do with stretching yoga <coughs> is a full range strength movement class or movement practice so it's getting strength in the full range of movement of your muscle yeah completely yoga for me is nothing to do with stretching it's everything is to do with being able to control your body in a strong positive way in a certain position or posture there are many people that won't be able to do yoga to its full extent because they have something stopping them and to get over that uh, sort of to get over that problem often they need to deal with something like an old trauma or injury for instance you can have scar tissue <coughs> causing neurological problems in your thigh in your arm wherever the scar is and it can cause problems across the other side of the body even there's no amount of soft tissue work that's going to change that technically you could get pretty lucky and accidentally fix that or solve that with some soft tissue work but it's it's not it's not really it's not really going to work. There's no no amount of m rubbing the scar down that's going to actually fix that neurological problem. So how do you change your neurology? Um, the way our body naturally resets itself is through deep tendon reflexes, so through general movements. So this is why yoga can be quite beneficial for a lot of people, and also uh, a lot of other corrective exercise movements. If we start stimulating our body in a certain way. It highlights the problem to the brain properly and 
then we create another movement another movement within that as well our body can actually reset the sensitivity of those neurological receptors that are causing that hypersensitivity and that are causing that problem through that deep tendon reflex and the deep tendon reflex is basically just a short-term loop uh, sort Do of you a mean like reflex like when they hit your knee and yes uh, a deep tendon reflex would just be like a knee jerk uh, if you go to the doctor's office and they hit your knee with a hammer that knee jerk yeah. or even a blink response is technically a deep tendon reflex as well let's come back to that yes after the local news Welcome back to the Fusel Fit Health and Fitness Show on 91.8 Haze FM. If you're just tuning in, I am Nicola Fusel, your host, and I have Christian Thompson with me today. So, Christian has been teaching us all about health and fitness. We've been talking about injuries, rest and recovery, and he's going to explain to us now. Please tell us, what is functional neurology? So, okay, so I think this will help make sense for a lot of the other stuff we've been talking about. So, when I, when I try and explain functional neurology to people, I often ask them first to pick up the nearest object around them and tell me how they know they're holding the object. And you can say you can feel it. You feel the different pressure on your hand, right? The pressure of the object. You can see it physically with your eyes. If it has smell, you can smell it. If it makes any sounds, you can hear it. If it had, uh, vibrates at all, you can feel the vibrational stimulus. If it has any temperature, you can feel that. These are sensory... Uh, there's, there's this sensory information you, you receive are being sensed by free nerve endings uh, or what we call receptors. <coughs> Now these receptors can be, they're, they're binary, they, they, they sort of work on a digital, uh, sort of an analog system where they, they, they just sense a sensitivity of something. So depending on how sensitive they're set, you imagine like almost this microphone, if it was set to a really high sensitivity, I could speak from very far away and it would still pick up my voice absolutely fine. But if I came and spoke to the microphone this close, then suddenly it'd be like a grenade going off, right? So the same thing happens in the sensory nervous system. So if we use the auditory response of the, of the brain, so how we hear things, and we imagine just on our, our right shoulder, we have a hypersensitive response, auditory response. So every time we hear anything to our brain, it feels like it's a much higher signal than it should be. This can also be perceived as a threat to the brain so then the body starts to move away from that threat so remember what we said before the brain only has one job to keep you alive right so move away from danger and towards safety so if you feel something is if this, this stimulus is constantly too high for you and every sound coming from this vector or this angle is causing a potential threat response your body is going to do something to move away so this is, this is often what can create postural drivers for me so the whole idea of sitting at a desk all day is what actually creates your posture is is quite ridiculous for me because <coughs> what's more important to driving posture is your body's ability uh, your body's ability to survive so every every part of your posture is your body's best current practice to to be at its at its best if we imagine we have this auditory stimulus to our right of our shoulder what we're going to do is move our head so we don't hear things in that vector anymore. So we might turn our head to one way, we might tilt our head. And these small little postural changes we see in people, maybe a shoulder's dropped, maybe head's tilted, maybe a foot's turned out. These postural changes we see in people are often driven from neurological causes. In fact, more often than not always. So this is how I look at the body. You know, what are you avoiding? Where are you strong? Where are you weak? And there is no amount of training that you're going to do to outperform this. 
Although, through corrective exercise and through corrective movement, you may reset some of these hypersensitivities naturally. But when we go into things like nociceptive pathways, which is what the layman's term is called pain pathways, although they're not pain pathways at all, <coughs> we would you would start to struggle to fix some of these with corrective exercises. Again, when we also when we mentioned before about some of the emotional problems we can have that can cause pain, or the memory of pain that can cause pain itself. Uh, these things aren't really going to be helped or fixed by corrective exercises. But then some of those could possibly be helped by other forms of psychotherapy and NLP. When you mentioned corrective exercise, because before you said certain corrective exercises are not good, like you can't keep training a muscle to get it to activate if it's a neurological problem. It's more about being able to move in the correct uh, movement pattern. So <coughs> if we think about a lot of yoga, pilates, even if we go into the strength conditioning world and you look at the exercises they do to improve the range of motion on their shoulders, all these things are about making sure that all the body lines up in, the, in this absolute correct anatomical way. And when we're doing this, we'll often actually uh, end up resetting <coughs> a lot of the problems that are causing those uh, neurological issues in that process. But it's a much more long-winded, harder way to do it than if you actually understand how to find those neurological symptoms and solve them. But at the same time, when you're doing something like strength training, you put yourself in a position and you're aware of your posture and where you're looking and your head and, and everything else. Whereas in general day-to-day -day life, you don't think about those things. So you're not going to get yourself into the right alignment. But, yeah, so doing any form of training and any form of corrective postural exercises is going to be beneficial for most people because it's going to help them solve some problems. But realistically, there are going to be problems that those, that those things just won't solve. And that's, that's where the, you know, raising the education on certain things is important. <clears throat> because some people just think, that's life. I've done everything I possibly can. Like my hip problem was nothing to do with postural exercises. It was to do with mercury poisoning, um, chemical poisoning from driving too often on a motorbike. And also, uh, there was actually a problem with micro, uh, microwave emission from my phone that I always kept in my right pocket. So between these stimulus <coughs> my hip was receiving, that was causing a, a large amount of pain. Wow, it's fascinating. So we mentioned their fitness. Yes. Let's talk about fitness. And when I spoke to you last, you were telling me that you, you train less than what I would imagine you would mm. do. Why is less better and what types of training do you recommend and what do you do? Well, again, less, less, less is better or if we say training, training uh, frequency is all depending on what you want, what you need. What I was saying to people, what I was saying to you particularly is, and what I say to a lot of people is, you don't need to spend hours in a gym or days in a gym at a time to get results. I can pretty much put most people through to get a decent body, decent health, decent uh, shape, just from 90 minutes a week. So three 20 to 30 minute sessions a week is enough. And when I say that, I know a lot of people may be familiar with the sort of high intensity interval training and that's not, that's not exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about even just getting in the gym, doing some basic uh, powerlifting, power weights exercises, or getting outside and doing some body weight exercises just for 20, 30 minutes at a time. This can be enough time to actually work your body in the right way as long as you're actually living 
properly and making sure you you're creating a healthy lifestyle environment for yourself training is a catalyst to make your body stronger and better but it also can be a catalyst can break your body apart it's a stress so this would be something that's more hormonetic rather than cold therapy exercise is a stress that will create a stronger reaction from our body <clears throat> and sometimes exercise can be too much mm, yes and as we were saying before about hypothalamic amenorrhea where yeah. some women um maybe doing too much exercise can then lose the period because it's secondary isn't it and obviously the body wants to survive yeah uh, so again it, it uh, i often find people come to me and they're in it their current state when they come to me is it one where i say stop exercising don't do it stop it uh, quite literally they're actually going to cause their body more harm the first thing we need to do is start solving their environmental problems in fact exercise and nutrition for me comes down to about number three or four on my list of checks before we go even into that I look at environmental stimulus psychological stimulus how people <coughs> are living day to day and how they're thinking day to day do you mean stress? Um, well, we can have lots, lots of micro-stresses in our environment. So, for instance, too much artificial light at night. So the whole thing of uh, very popular right now, people looking at phones in, before they go to bed, this is now being brought to light that's not so good for you. And it goes a lot further than that. Physically seeing any artificial light after the sun goes down will decrease melatonin production. And melatonin is very important for your ability to sleep properly. So we can go into a whole huge host of things there. <coughs> But realistically, if you have too much artificial light at night, you're not going to be getting the best night's sleep at all. If we look at... What about candlelight? Candlelight is not so bad, but it's still artificial light. But it's particularly the blue spectrum of light that is the problem. Now, blue light is, uh, it stimulates us to wake up. That's, what our, that's, that's the light that stimulates us to wake up. And when we have that in our environment, automatically we inhibit the release of melatonin, particularly pe uh, pineal melatonin, uh, and, or pineal melatonin. Uh, so if we've got this blue light in our environment and we've got no, no melatonin being produced, then we're not going to sleep very well. But in the morning, we need, this we need this blue light to be there to wake us up. But if we've got this chronically there and never ever going away, that means we've got a poor light and dark cycle again which means we don't sleep and we don't recover properly and how much sleep is optimal uh depends on the person depends what they need <coughs> there is generally anything between six and eight hours is the recommended uh daily amount and that's that's normally good for people but i have been i have managed to get people down to as little as four hours sleep still healthily but there's a lot of work that goes into that and it's not something i really recommend for most people it's just something that's kind of if you're interested in experimenting on yourself and pushing the boundaries, it's cool to do. But realistically, six to eight hours sleep is generally what everyone needs. It's the 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 the, the studies are right be on that. Natural, shouldn't it? Like if you just let yourself fall asleep and see when you wake up, is that how you would work yeah. out what would be optimal for you? That's that's pretty much how I try to live my life these days. Although I find a lot of people have less sleep in the week and then they're, they're catching up at the weekend yeah this whole thing of sleep debt is not really good or healthy for anyone <clears throat> you should be going to sleep and waking up with the sun 
when it goes dark. See, I can't stay asleep. If I if I felt like I needed more and then I tried to have a line at the weekend, I couldn't. Yeah, prob- uh, so do you often see the sun f- first thing in the morning? Yeah, because I get up early. Well, then that's probably why, because one of the most important things to reset your circadian biology, to reset your circadian rhythm, is to see sun first thing in the morning. It's one of the biggest health tips I can give anyone. First thing you get up, go outside, look at the sun. And look- when it's winter and it's 5am? And when it's winter <laughs> and it's 5am, or it's cla- well, it's, when it's winter at 5am, there's probably no sun still. But when it's cloudy or rainy or snowing or anything, if there's daylight outside, if it's light outside, there's light on the ground, no matter if there's clouds in the way, there's sun hitting the ground. It's just a lower percentage of sun hitting the ground. So going outside and looking in the direction of the sun, not directly at the sun because, you know, that can cause some damage, um, <clears throat> it still, just still say 10 degrees from the sun is normally good enough. Some people will find that too hard to do because their eyes will still be too sensitive. A sensitivity to sun, sunlight, normally signals uh, some form of uh, adrenal fatigue or not adrenal fatigue in the sense your adrenals aren't working, adrenal fatigue in the sense that they're doing too much work. That you have some form of uh, communication problem between the brain and the HPA access, the energy sort of process of the body. Uh, but sensitive delight is a very big symptom of having some problem within the adrenal glands or some they're, they're, them overworking in some way. Which could be another result from overtraining. Uh, yeah, it could be another result from overtraining. It could be a result from undereating. It could be a result from uh, constantly having blue light in your environment. It could be even a result from working around too many computers. I'm mentally ticking. Yep, yep, yep. I heard all that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I had sensitivity to light as well. And I'm just thinking, wow, as you say that. So, um, craving for sugar and salt uh, often can be another 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 symptom. Not these are these again possible symptoms, not guarantees. Just to make this clear. <clears throat> so let's talk about getting outside and obviously the benefits of being outside in nature and specifically earthing and yes. getting your feet in contact with the ground. So well, grounding or earthing works on. Uh, the magnetic hall effect or but if we make that even simpler for people just to understand <coughs> the second law of thermodynamics means that a source of greater energy will always flow to a source of lesser energy so <coughs> the earth is always going to have more electrons in it than us and if we go and put our feet uh, a semiconductive surface our skin on another semiconductive surface say grass or concrete depending on how it's ha- how er- everything underneath that area looks like because you can have paved concrete and then everything underneath is tarred or pulled <coughs> and cut off from the earth itself as long as you've got a good piece of earth to stand on that earth will have more electrons in it than us and the two conductive surfaces will exchange energy now because there's more electrons in one surface the electrons will flow in a direction into the surface with less electrons inside. This is because everything in physics, everything in science, is always trying to create equilibrium, balance of a system. So the Earth is physically trying to balance out a system by adding enough electrons in it so we're full of electrons. Electrons, remember, are our energy. So this is just to clarify this. Yes, we actually gain energy from the floor, from the Earth, via electrons. This can act as an anti-inflammatory response. This can act, act as an anti, uh, antioxidant response as well because 
remember those free radicals that everyone talks about they're basically unpaired electrons let's i stop you there i'm afraid you can also rest your voice while we have a break and then um we'll come right back welcome back to 91.8 Hayes fm <clears throat> We're talking about earthing. <laughs> yes. So I want to just dive straight back into that. I was just telling Christine off air that actually with my job, with a lot of um, energy out, teaching people and teaching classes, I always feel that it's quite draining in a way, although I, I love it, I really enjoy it. But then I have to do a bit of earthing in a way to get my energy back. And it's how I feel I'm plugging back in and recharging. Yeah, well, you find a lot of people find getting out in sunlight feels good, right? Yeah. And walking around bare feet on grass feels good, right? Intuitively, people find, oh, this is nice, it feels good. So you don't understand why. There's actual phys physics reasons why, you know, that you are actually replacing electrons. Even actually when you get out into the sun. Um, something. So here's, here's more of a bit of a deep level of scientific information for, for, for the people listening. Your skin, there's lots, of, there's lots of collagen in your skin. People may know this. They may, know, may name not... <coughs> collagen is a negative type semiconductor now semiconductors in physics have a number of principles and collagen has some of these principles and they can be piezoelectric pyroelectric photoelectric uh, now what this means is they can actually create electrical current create create a DC electric current create a movement of electrons through certain stimulus so if we shine UV light onto a, an N-type collagen semiconductor, we can actually create an electronical current. So this is what happens. When UV light from the sun comes down to the earth and hits our skin, we're actually creating electrical current, which is the, what we use as energy, DC electric current, the movement of electrons across a membrane, for instance, or down through our nervous system. This is, how we, this is how our cells communicate. This is how our brain tells our body what to do. This is how we provide energy for all, all the systems. And it's very important. So getting out in the sun not only feels good, not only creates vitamin D, not only increases dopamine, not only increases serotonin, all these very important things, especially for the mental health side of things as well, but it also increases energy levels. And it's massively regenerating in a way. In fact, there's all the studies that are coming out now saying avoiding sun is probably shaving years off people's lives. So the, all the background of hunt, of avoid sun, avoid sun like the plague, just take vitamin D3 supplements is, is being completely revoked now and being turned around. And I, I guarantee you'll see in, say, five years' time, the, another, another big re reverb and like revo revocation on certain how we use sun cream will come about. It's just just catching up with, uh, with people now, all this information. Because you were also saying before, um, like not on air, about vitamins. Yeah. I think you were saying that having that it artificially last time we spoke, yeah, yes. is slightly different to getting it actually. Yeah, so I always say to people, um, unless you're in a vitamin D winter, don't take vitamin D3 synthetic as a supplement because it will disrupt the way your body can use vitamin D3 phosphate you, that you create in your skin from actually getting the light. And that, that type of vitamin D3 is much more uh, effective. Uh, so get out and get in the sun safely in small, controlled bursts. The most important thing is you're making sure you're not burning. Now, that doesn't mean putting layers of sun cream on. That means keeping yourself cool, keeping yourself hydrated, grounding regularly. These things will help you avoid sunburn. Managing your time in the sun slowly. You don't see any animals with sunburn, do you? 
They've got loads of fur, most well, of them. <laughs> I've got I've got hair on my head, but I can guarantee you, if I stand with um, underneath uh, the sun for long enough, which have, even with my hair on my head, my scalp will burn. How many how many girls have you seen at the beach with burnt scalps? I've seen a lot, <laughs> and uh, you know your hair doesn't stop you from burning. It's your skin that stops you from burning. Now the reason is because these animals are outdoors all year round, and they build up gradual protection against the sun. That's what uh, the melanin in your skin does. You get what's all called solar calluses. Now, this doesn't mean I suggest you spend out every second of your day in the hottest sun you can find. This means <coughs> that staying out of the sun is not the answer. You know, p- putting sun cream on is not the answer. It's about managing your sun intake. The dose makes a toxin with everything. If I told you to drink um, 10 litres of water a day for, for a month, that's going to cause a problem. If I told you to stick your, fa- your head out of a car and drive 60 miles an hour down the road, that's also going to become a problem coming. You'll probably suffocate soon enough. Too much oxygen, too much water, too much of anything becomes a toxin. Anything that is taken in too much of a larger quantity becomes a toxin. Which is very important that you say that because a lot of people think if something is healthy, I need to do more and more of yeah. that. And this is what I say with same thing with all vitamins and minerals and all forms of supplements. Why are you taking them? You've got to know why you take something. And when you take it, you take it in, I say, like medicine. Large doses for a short period of time for a particular reason, and then it's done. That's it. You stop taking See, it. See, I would take something. I think a lot of people listening probably would relate. Uh, maybe a, a multivitamin mm. just in case you're not getting it in your food or you're worried about um, the quality of it within your food. You've got to remember, we actually create a lot of these things endogenously. We, 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 if you are healthy, you're creating them. Your, your, your microbiome in your gut, for instance, create most of, most of your K2. They even create vitamin C. Now, depending on your body and your system and how well you're working, how well you're functioning, is depending on how well you're creating this stuff internally. Also depending on your environment. And also depending on how much of it you need compared to how much you're using through cofactors of di- different enzymic reactions. If you're under lots of stress all the time, you're going to need a lot more stuff to deal with all the all the extra sort of jobs that are happening in the body but like i said if we're creating it properly if we're creating it then taking the exogenous source can actually disrupt our own ability to create it or balance that system if you think that you have a lack of something let's say a certain hormone this is why hormone therapy is is very dubious as well in my book if you have a lack of a certain hormone and you inject a, a ton of it into your system your body has no way of controlling of how that's time released into your body. There are certain newer uh, ways of doing this that are a bit more, a bit more clever. Let's say you get this big massive injection; it's now sitting in your body. So you, that that big massive injection can actually create uh, a sort of resistance to the receptor site that's actually receiving that information. Just like, for instance, the reason if you, if someone takes drugs, for instance, so someone someone takes an ecstasy pill and they get addicted to taking ecstasy pills or cocaine or weed or any form of drug or even alcohol, they start to become resistant to that stimulus because the the excess amount of the dopamine, for instance, that would create in their body would create a resistance in those receptor cells. So they need more each time to create the same response. That's why you get resistance to certain drugs. That's why you get resistance to certain things. Now, this doesn't work exactly the same for everything. 
I am paraphrasing and trying to make this as simple as possible for people to understand. So you've got to understand that this isn't this is a simplified, broken down answer for this. But if we're taking stuff constantly in high doses, we actually may be doing ourselves a worse job than not taking it at all because we could be causing a resistance to the receptor sites that are receiving that information. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So I always say to people, think twice before you just go out and buy an average multivitamin because you may not actually be doing yourself any, any great service. You may be doing yourself a disservice, in fact. Uh, you've got to know why you're taking something, what you're taking, why you're taking it. For instance, the vitamin C we normally take today is just absorbic acid. The guy who created vitamin C, I think Albert Schentz is his name, uh, he said absorbic acid cannot be classed uh, solely as vitamin C. So there's a whole other huge uh, sort of part uh, of vitamin C that we're not getting from the tablet alone, that we get from fruit, we'll get from food. Let's come back to that. We have um, vitamins. Yes. And I was just asking Christian off air to talk to us about the C as well, because there's lots of energy in the C, isn't there, Christian? Well, uh, the, the, the thing with the C is what we were saying before about our body's ability to conduct electrons through the ground or even through the sun. Now, wet and cold uh, surfaces it increased their ability to absorb those electrons. So the C, the getting in the C will actually increase your ability to absorb the electrons, the, 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 or increase your ability to create electrons from the sun, and it will also increase your ability to absorb electrons from the ground itself. The C is like uh, supercharging the grounding effect, for instance. So being in the C is just a, a fantastic way of improving your health in general just through that effect by itself. Then you've also got the, 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 the absorption of salt through the skin. Of course, that can, that can go the wrong way as well. You can have too much salt, dehydrate your skin and everything else. But realistically, the grounding effect of the sea is the most important thing, I think, with that subject. Um, but also, obviously, in the sea, yeah. there's all the fish. Yes. And you had an experience of being, um, uh, what do you call it again? The poisoning that you have, mercury poisoning, mercury, yes. which some people get from tuna and things like that. Yes. Mainly tinned tuna. Um, but there's also, isn't it really, really good for you to eat fish and the algae? Oh, yes, yes. So, uh, one, so remember we were talking about the, the eye and we were talking about the, how the light from our environment uh, dictates how, we could, how our body clock reacts, okay? So DHA is the only uh, lipid in the known universe uh, that can turn light into a DC electric current back again. So DHA is an omega-3 fatty acid that you'll only find in fish sources of, 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 uh, of omega-3, apart from, I think there's a two, other so two vegetable sources, which are blue-green algae and seaweed. So again, things that fish generally eat. Uh, you can find DHA in grass actually, but you're not going to eat grass, so it's not really it doesn't really count. Um, but also, when you eat it from the fish, what happens when the fish eat the plankton, the algae, and all this stuff that create that have the DHA in themselves as well? They 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 turn they turn the DHA into a particular molecular position. Now, if we go into complex explanation of how uh, how the chemical structure of DHA looks like. Uh, we can explain this a bit more, but realistically, it's just called the SN2 position. And when DHA is in the SN2 position, it is what we call paramagnetic. 
and you may remember before earlier in the show we spoke about the mitochondria now the mitochondria that membrane that passes electrons to the last protein on that membrane that passes electrons to is called the ATPase and it's got a spinning head and anything in, from, from physics we know anything that spins creates a magnetic field so the mitochondria physically draw things like the paramagnetic molecules like DHA like oxygen into our, our cells through that magnetic field so that's why being in the SN2 position is really important now we don't have much of an ability to turn it into the SN2 position from eating it from other sources like the vegetable sources or even to turn other omega-3 fatty acids like ALA into DHA or EPA which are two other four which are three the three forms of omega-3 fatty acids <coughs> that generally most people talk about so ALA we only have something between 0.5 and 4 percent ability to turn it from ALA into DHA or EPA which is very little so for me DHA being one of the most important molecules in the body uh, is you have to eat it from the fish itself and the rawer the better because DHA itself is very uh, volatile, very unstable so it, you, if you cook it at any form of high temperature you're going to destroy it very quickly or degrade it very quickly so fish need to be cooked always at light temperature or eaten raw now there's plenty of, uh, plenty of plenty of foods you can do that with the smaller the fish the less likely you are going to be able to get a problem with things like mercury the bigger the fish, the more likely you are going to get problems with mercury. So tuna, swordfish, they're the most the famous ones that you're really going to have the most in. Um, salmon is normally okay with people. Some of the more smaller shellfish are, are, are pretty good. Oysters are generally the best food on the planet in terms of nutritional density. Really? Yeah. So um, another thing we should also understand about DHA, quickly before I forget to mention it, is that we have the most DHA per square millimetre in the eye. And there's a reason for that, because remember, the eye is how we tell the time compared to the daylight cycles. So it's, I, I find DHA is probably the biggest nutritional advice, piece of advice I can give someone is get more DHA. So you should eat the eyes on the fish. Not the eyes on the fish. <laughs> <laughs> but, but just eat fish in general. Just eat, eat more the seafood. the smaller ones, you generally eat the whole thing, don't you? And the yeah. bones and the eyes. Yeah, you would pretty much. Uh, depending on like the big ones that <laughs> <scared> <laughs> on the fish. Well, you could eat the eyes and the head and the bones of the big ones you know potentially but I mean generally it's not what people do so it's not about going out of this world doing stuff that no one's ever done before or getting people that far out of their comfort zone it's like just eat fish now there will people be people that are also uh, potentially allergic to fish or have some allergies and there are other things they can do but I think we've got to go we through the break. We have a break now, yes. I'm afraid, right in the middle of that. So we're going to come <coughs> back to talk about that right after this. Tree, on average. Right, we're back to 91.8 Hayes FM, the Fuse Fit Health and Fitness Show. I feel like I want to talk really, really fast because we've only got Christian here for another 15 minutes and we've got so much more to get through. So whilst we're still on the topic of food and fish and DHAs and all good oils... Um, Christian, can you really quickly then just give us like a shopping list? What type of things should we, we be buying? Should we be having any supplements or fish oils or just eat the real fish? Uh, well, the thing is, if, if you have to get the supplements, it's better than not having it at all. But realistically, getting the supplements, you have to get them from a very good source because they, they're very volatile, like I said. So if you have them, in, if they're left out in the sun or left out in the heat, 
they'll they'll go rancid. They they won't be very good anymore. You know, if they're not in a dark space all the time, they're good. They they're generally not going to be good anymore. If they're left there for too long, they're not going to be good anymore. So there's lots of things with supplements that aren't very good. Also, it won't be in the SN2 position, so it won't be as effective as well. So generally, just eating the fish is much more effective. Lots of people can have... There's not lots of people. There's a few people that have issues with eating certain fish or all fish or histamine issues, which can be exacerbated by fish. Those people, they need to see someone like myself realistically or like another another professional to help them find other ways of making their life uh, or more, making that more doable for them and then they need to seek the proper advice and then lastly on the fish oils because mm. do you not need to have the right balance between like nut oils and fish oils like the six but, three but and nine ba- basically forget six forget nine there's nothing wrong with them there's no it's not it's not um, that's not important the important thing is the balance between three and six particularly the most important thing is just to make sure you get enough three. Just get more three in your diet. That's because, the fish one. <clears throat> yeah. Or technically, you can get omega-3 from plant sources as well, ALA. But like I said, it's more important to get the fish sources than the plant sources because you don't have very, hardly any ability to convert ALA into DHA EPA. There is an ability to convert some, but hardly any ability at all. And that's been known for a very long time by the nutritional community. And whilst we're on the shopping list... Salt? Should we be adding salt like Himalayan salt? Healthy salts in quotes? Well, the thing is, depends. Do you need more salt? You know, some people will. Uh, but if you're using salt, I mean, I use salt on everything. As I, I love salt, but and it's not a problem. In fact, when you look at some of the research, they say salt's bad. They say salt is increasing blood pressure or salt's done this or salt's done that. But when you look at the longer studies that look at longevity, higher, higher sodium diets, they actually increase longevity. But not table salt. But not table salt. Table salt uh, is is filled with yeah tons of tons of crap that you don't want. You know you want proper Celtic uh, so sea so sea salt, Himalayan salt, something you know something proper unrefined mm-hmm. salt basically. Oils, coconut oils. oil, big hype about it. Is it good? Is it bad? Fantastic. Oils should we have fantastic? But I mainly only use things in season in in season. So if it's summer or it's high light levels where I am where I'm currently sitting, standing and eating, you know, I will use coconut oil. If it's low light levels, I won't use it. You know, if it's low, and it also I'll try and use oils that are like the food I'm cooking. So for instance, I'll use coconut oil and macadamia oil for things like fish and seafood because they're, they're closer to the same type of uh, chemical makeup. But for things like skeletal meats, uh, I'll use butters, ghees, animal fats. I'm just making notes for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's quickly move on to um, gut health and pre and probiotics as well. I wanted to ask you about um, and leaky gut. Right. So where so do let's, you let's, dive start with, in? let's start yeah. with pre, the prebiotics, <laughs> right? Or probiotics, probiotics, and prebiotics. First, first of all, unless you've got a medical grade probiotic, it's pointless almost. Um, even, even if they do get through your gut system, even if they do get into your gut, you're only putting millions into a pool of billions, trillions of bacteria you would have to take them consistently for many many months before you'd even make a dent the most important thing with gut bacteria is improving prebiotics because prebiotics allow you to change the diversity and and population of the gut bacteria by increasing the environment for for them to multiply in so 
it, they, they will multiply faster and more effectively than you will ever add them in. If, you're, if, if you've had an appendix surgery and you've had your appendix taken out, you may have a need to take probiotics and that's because your appendix is where you store all the base information for those, uh, for, for those microbiomes to come back. So if you're missing certain uh, population of microbiome in your gut, you'll have to actually ingest it rather than it being populated again through prebiotics. My favourite prebiotic is red wine. Uh, and that's no because idea that was a prebiotic. Yeah, and that's because it has a high amount of resveratrol and quercetin inside, which has been proven to be in conjunction together one of the most powerful prebiotics. Now, of course, drink too much red wine, and it's going to go the other way. The alcohol content will overdo the prebiotic. One or two glasses is, is perfectly fine. It's actually quite daily. healthy. Nah, daily, <laughs> arguable, <laughs> arguable. <laughs> yeah, arguable. I mean, again, it, looking to, to for me to give you a direct. This is what everyone needs. I can't because everyone's unique. Like At the same before. time, you need a day off, don't you, for your liver to... Yeah, I mean, you don't want to be drinking alcohol daily. I, I still don't think that that's correct. But, I mean, to have, say, three, four glasses a week, it's not a problem. I think you know, one or two at a time, is, is, there shouldn't really be a problem with that. Dark chocolate sauce, another one that's quite good for that. Uh, and the, the particular red wine that I suggest is high-altitude Malbec. So anything that's been grown over 5,000 feet. And that's because of how uh, quercetin and resveratrol absorb light at particularly what nanometer range they absorb at, which is the UV range. And our gut microbiome communicate in that range of light. So they, they release extreme low frequency UV light. And when you ingest this, these, these chemicals, resveratrol and quercetin, that's what creates the prebiotic effect. <coughs> So let's move on to leaky gut. Mm -hmm. So leaky gut, many people look at as a, a, a problem, as they look at it uh, uh, as an illness. But what, what is it? But what we don't really understand, or what most people don't understand, is the leaky gut is by design. When you eat something, and it's digested in your stomach and through your duodenum, and it goes into the rest of your small intestine, and it starts to get absorbed through the intestinal walls. That, by definition, is leaking. So leaking gut, leaky gut is just basically we've increased the permeability of that leakiness. Now permeability is controlled by stress. So high stress causes more leakiness. Yes. So there's many things that need to be that needs to be addressed from that point that we really is that really needs to be personalised. It's a bit difficult to go into now, especially with only 15 minutes or 10 minutes now. 10 minutes. <laughs> but realistically, stress is the cause of leaky gut. A form of stress, not and not mental or emotional or physical, alone or environmental, all of it together. In fact, even a eating something that you're currently intolerant to will improve, increase the stress, and then increase leakiness. And then what happens as well is the more leaky your gut is, the more foods you become intolerant to, because they the the proteins get to the wrong side of the barrier before they even broken down to the right size. So when you have the, the animal-acid chains that create proteins, they, almost get, they get to the wrong side of the barrier, the, immune system, the cortisol drops down after stress drops, the immune system comes back up and attacks it like a pathogen because it's an unrecognized protein in the body. It hasn't been created by the body or built up by the body. It's still an unbroken down source of food. And the next time you eat that food, your body has an intolerant reaction to it. An intolerance reaction could be anything from bloating, gas, um, 
So uh, IBS symptoms. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, IBS symptoms. It could be a, a, phys a physical energy crash. You could just suddenly just feel like crap. You know, like just, just really the energy just sort of drops out of you. Um, uh, so things like celiac uh, c conditions of celiac disease. Uh, that's quite. That's that's normally what happens to those sorts of people. They just have these massive energy crashes. They eat something, they almost fall asleep on but the spot. But that's allergic to gluten, isn't it? Yeah, that's particularly gluten. Which is different to wheat. Yes. So, what is the difference between someone who is celiac and wheat intolerant? Because um, I think they get confused, and people just avoid well, the whole. Re realistically, it's just what they're intolerant to. Every intolerance has a gradient. How how intolerant are you? Are you going to fall off the edge of a cliff energy-wise? Are you going to suddenly have a, a this super hard distended gut? Or is it just going to cause you a little bit of digestive comfort, discomfort? You know, there's a gradient to how much it's going to affect you and on each level what it's going to affect you doing. And that all comes down to specifically to how it's reacting within your body. But that can't be said just generally. It's like so there's so many different ways. And, error, and, <coughs> and also avoiding those foods completely, doesn't that cause you more intolerance? Uh, no, avoiding the food completely won't cause you more intolerance, but, you know, that sucks. You have to avoid food for the rest of your life. No, I, I prefer to try and fix the problem. <coughs> so I don't want to ask you too many questions and then have to cut you yeah. short and, you know, cut off your answers because obviously we need to hear them all in full. So mm -hmm. at the end we're going to just explain where people can find more information about you. Yeah. But as it is Mental Health Awareness Week, so I want to bring it right back to what we mentioned at the beginning. What sort of advice would you have on people for mental health? First thing is get outdoors. Get grounding, sun, uh, so getting outside first thing in the morning, seeing the sun. This is one of the most important things I can give for anyone in general for, for health having cold showers this has been shown recently in a lot of studies to improve the improve conditions of mental health quite greatly so morning sun cold showers grounding these basic things are free and they have been shown to be proving in people of all types of health conditions massively but especially between the sunlight and the cold have been showing to have great effects on people with mental health and especially so, depression, you were saying earlier. Yeah, especially depress de 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 uh, depressive symptoms. Yes. What about anxiety? Uh, anxiety is normally a factor of too higher stress levels going on in the body, so too higher cortisol. <clears throat> so, again, anything that's going to improve the ability to deal with free, free radicals, improve the ability to deal with environmental stresses, again, like more sunlight, cold, th cold therapy, grounding, these sort of things, you know, it's really simple. Get outside a bit more. Get a bit more sun. Get cold every now and then. Uh, clean up your water supply as well. So, you know, drink, drinking good quality filtered water is an important thing. You can get a, a, a good water filter, stick it on your tap for like 30 pounds. It's, it's, not, it's not, not difficult. There's loads on the market. You're just going to try and make sure it filters out pretty much as much as you, of stuff you can. The only thing that's difficult to filter out of water is fluoride. But luckily in the UK, well, I thought in London there's no fluoride in the water. I think in other places in the UK there still might be. But I think UK and Europe are normally quite good with fluoride. It's the Americas that are the worst for that. How many litres should we be drinking a day? Uh, again, all depends on the person. The general, general recommendation is two to three litres. Um, I would stick with that. I would just say two to three litres. Drink when you're thirsty. That's the most important thing. Uh, the problem with hydration... It's not so much how much water you drink, but your environment. If you're constantly 
in the environment that has lots of micro stresses in them, they cause things like so blue light, <coughs> Wi-Fi signals, microwaves, all these things. They have a few symptoms they actually cause. Cellular dehydration through calcium efflux. Now, cellular de dehydration makes sense to people. Calcium efflux probably won't so much. So don't worry if you don't understand that. It's not enough time to explain it right now. Um, it will increase. Uh, it will increase blood glucose and it will decrease insulin sensitivity. So. Uh, there was a study recently showing uh, that they've, they've, they're starting to recognize that a new type of diabetes, a type 3 diabetes, that is particularly caused by environmental stress from uh, EMF radiation, electromagnetic frequency radiation, which is basically uh, Wi-Fi, radio signals, microwave signals on phones and the rest of it, uh, excessive artificial blue light. All these things cause these symptoms. Again, it takes a lot of it to cause an actual illness or a disease. But these are things that are causing micro-stresses in people's lives and they need to be aware of. That's crazy. Yes, it is. So, obviously, you've given us so much information there, thank you, and answered all of those questions. Um, where can people hear more of you or find out more, watch your videos, that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, so um, people can find out a bit my, at my website. It's eqtransformations.co.uk or they can find me on Facebook by my name, Christian Thompson. Uh, they're the best two sources to come and find me. I have uh, my free Facebook group, which is the Superhuman Experiment. If you search that, you can find that. And I also have my paid membership systems. I have a free membership system as well. You can find out and read all my blogs and articles and everything else. And I have two paid membership systems as well on that website that we discussed. Uh, and then if anyone actually wants to reach out to me personally and ask me more direct questions for more personal help, then I, I welcome that as well. I work with people on a one-to-one -one basis as well as uh, is in the group structures. And where can we hear you next? Have you got any talks coming up? Oh, uh, you know, you're catching me off guard here. I don't know what my diary is like, but uh, there is stuff coming up in the future. Most of it goes off on the website. I'll, I'll probably, uh, one of the next times I'm speaking will either be in London or in Dubai for sure. There's some stuff coming up there, so probably in the summer there's another two or three events coming up where I'm going to be talking out uh, at or out of. So just, uh, I'd say, go check out the Facebook, go check out the website. You Twitter, Instagram. I, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying my hardest. Yeah. I'm not really, so, I'm not really <laughs> social media. I, I, I kind of try well. away, I try to stay away <laughs> as much as I can from the phone. My phone's on airplane mode a lot of the time because, uh, yeah, it, I don't, I don't want to have all that uh, micro stress on myself. But um, uh, there, I've got an Instagram account, I've got a Twitter account, but I, I couldn't tell you what the names were. I think the Instagram is just on my name, Christian Thompson. I think it's not the Christian Thompson or Christian Thompson 9. Look at that up. But Snapchat? No, definitely <laughs> not Snapchat. I, have not, I, I haven't got that far into the technical universe yet. So, guys, if you are on Snapchat, join my Snapchat, which is Fustel Fit, F E U S T E L F I T. And some of today's interview has been on there as well which yes. um, I tried not to distract <laughs> you too much from talking, <laughs> snapping yeah. away at the side. But it's been um, a pleasure having you here, Christian. Yes, thank, thank you Thank you, for you me so on. much. Um, so go and check him out. Check him out on Facebook. And also you can see the live video of this audio. So if you've been listening, yes. if you haven't, if you want to see, then we've got the live Facebook on um, Nicola oh. Fustel and also Christian Thompson. So... That's all for now, and I shall be back next week at the same time, 1 till 3 p.m. Remember, it is Mental Health Awareness Week, so check out my posts on Facebook and get involved. Thank you. Mm -hmm.